I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good news, everyone. Game of Opinions is back for episode two. Now we're still in lockdown land, so we once again put our faith in Zoom as we tackled one of football's biggest questions. What on earth happens next? I'm Ben Snowball, and I was delighted to be joined by sports journalist extraordinaires Daniel Harris, Carrie Dunn, and Tom Adams for a pretty explosive discussion. Enjoy. Hello. Thanks, everyone, for pausing your lives to join so we can tackle a coronavirus conundrum. How do you think the football season should finish? Basically, everyone has an opinion on this, from those who want it scrapped entirely to those who want promotion for certain teams and those who are desperate for Liverpool to win just two more games. Let's start with those who think the season should have a definitive endpoint. First, there's UEFA president Alexander Seferin, hopefully I've said that right, who says the season would probably be lost if not restarted by the end of June. And then there's Tottenham striker Harry Kane. Here are his thoughts. For me, I feel we need to try to finish the season, but there needs to be a point where enough is enough. We may have to say we can't finish it, Going into July and August and pushing next season back, I don't really see too much benefit in doing that. From a player's point of view, let's try to finish the season, but there needs to be a limit, and probably the limit for me is the end of June. So Daniel, with that bucket load of information, uh, do you want to give your thoughts on whether you think A, the season should be scrapped, and B, whether it should have a starting end point? Just kind of throw your thoughts out. I think the first thing we need to say is that some questions don't have an answer, don't have a good answer. There's no solution to this problem that will make you say, aha, we've got it. Every answer is rubbish. And we need to accept that. And we also need to accept the fact that we have no idea what's going on. And we definitely need to realise also that we, we can't do anything until people have stopped dying. And we need to be mainly preoccupied with that. However, football is where people invest so much of their love and so much of their hope that it's important that we talk about these things to try and keep ourselves sane even if we're not actually getting anywhere near towards what the correct answer is. I think personally, increasingly, I feel that the season probably has to be finished however long that takes, because it feels like it's the only way to try and preserve the existence of some of the smaller clubs. And what will have to happen is by finishing, then clubs won't have to pay a load of money back to Sky and can instead pass money down the pyramid if necessary So what we're trying to actually do here is ensure the survival of clubs, because to me, the extinction of numerous football league clubs in particular is probably our worst case scenario here. So the main thing that we need to do is stop that from happening. So in terms of just on on Kane's comments in particular, you're saying that even if the season starts after June, as we said, there's no 
no one has any idea when this this pandemic's going to kind of subside and we'll be able to play football again. You're saying that doesn't matter actually if it starts even in December, we still finish the season. Um, I think that anyone who talks about this with any degree of certainty is probably an idiot. So I, I'm not going to say this is absolutely what I think should happen because we're not anywhere near the worst of this yet. So to say this is what the this is what the outcome should be is would be it would be idiotic. I, if we're looking specifically about what Harry Kane said, where he talked about from a player's perspective, I don't think that players are that high up in the list of what I'm considering here. And I don't say that without sympathy. Like these guys are athletes, they train their asses off, they've sacrificed their youth to get to this point. And I appreciate their sacrifice and I love watching them play. And I can't even grasp the frustration of not being able to play. But the main thing isn't what makes the players feel good. It's making sure that clubs don't go bust, people, fans don't lose their heritage and workers don't lose their livelihoods. And that's the, that's the main thing here, I think. Well, cracking points. Carrie, do you sympathise at all with Kane? And maybe that the season has to have a kind of a, an end date, even if that doesn't mean it finishes? I do sympathise, absolutely. I don't agree. Um, I'm kind of with Daniel on this. I mean, you can't just introduce an arbitrary cut-off point like the end of June when we don't know how long this is all going to go on for. Um, I am of the opinion that the season needs to be finished, whatever happens, even if that is a six-month delay, even if that's a longer delay. If it means next season getting pushed back, maybe the season after getting pushed back, so be it. I just think cutting off a competition uh, in just before you get to the actual climax of it is just ridiculous. It goes against everything that we're used to in, in, in sport. So I think we need to get this season finished whenever it finishes. If it means truncating the season afterwards, that's fine. I mean, it's happened in England uh, recently when the Women's Super League changed to a winter season after having a summer season. They had a spring series. They just had a series of... Uh, a small league series happening across uh, March to June. And that was fine. That worked. There's no reason they couldn't do that in the men's game just to make sure that everyone is still match fit before the season gets back to normal. So there are precedents for it. And yeah, I just think get this season finished. Tom, why do you think there is this mass panic? Are we, we have to be ready for next season. We have to be ready for next season when no one really knows what next season looks like. And even if it will start, even if they finish the season now, there's no guarantees that next season will start in August as scheduled. Why do you think there's this kind of big voice of opinion that the football should uh, football season should have a certain cutoff point? Well, I guess there's a lot of factors playing into it. I mean, I think the, the suggestion is that if the season hasn't concluded this season by July 16th, then clubs are going to have to be start paying a hell of a lot of money back to TV companies. And that's obviously kind of thinking behind... When you hear, I think there's a report in the Daily Mail today saying that the Premier League clubs were considering starting behind closed doors at the start of May as early as that, which just seems like an incredible misreading of the situation and the kind of potential, you know, the kind of situation the, the wider world is in. Um, I think my my starting point with this is that I, I agree with everyone so far. I think we have to finish the season because purely from, like Daniel says, no one knows how this is going to play out, but. One scenario could be that, okay, if you call a halt to this season and we, we start the next one, who knows what's going to happen in 12 months' time if there's no vaccine, maybe there's a second wave, things flare up again in, in a position where you have two seasons you never finished instead of one that you did. And I, I, I kind of get the point that, that at a time like this, football's unimportant and people say it's kind of crass to even discuss it. Um, and I think 
clearly it's unimportant compared to some of the stuff that we're seeing and we're talking about but it's also something that gives a lot of meaning and value to people's lives and I think it's it's certainly a fair thing to kind of talk about how we can restore it if it's possible to restore it and if we do in which ways it it, it can be brought back in if it adds a little bit of meaning even if it's not how people experience football normally if it's something that can still kind of be of value to people then it's something we should look at and i think there is something that could potentially bring meaning and value to people is a really really wacky proposal uh that came from the independence miguel delaney i'm not sure if you all saw this uh but it's where premier league clubs this is the report premier league clubs could be put into isolated camps in london and the midlands similar to what they have in a world cup and play out matches uh behind closed doors in a tv mega event this is from the report Uh, The Independent has been told that plans have been drawn up to televise all remaining 92 matches with a handful on every day over the summer months. It is this aspect that has drawn increased government backing as they like the idea of the population engrossed in national sport, especially in the event that lockdown measures are tightened or extended. But in order to complete the plan, clubs and their staff would be confined to separate hotels away from their families, just like an international tournament, albeit with full testing and quarantine conditions the aim is to reduce the risk of contracting COVID-19 as even one case could derail the whole plan. I mean, it's absolutely mad um, and probably a bit risky redirecting medical expertise to football when we, particularly you, Daniel, have said it's not the priority here. Just wanted your thoughts, though, on whether you see that as a viable solution. Maybe we start with Carrie this time. Do you know what? It is mad, but I kind of like it as a suggestion. I would watch every single one of those matches. It would be awesome. But I think the practicalities, as you started to mention there, Ben, I think it would just be too difficult. It's not just about the teams and their support staff. Also, surely it's about the hotel staff. They would also have to be locked in. They wouldn't be able to go in and go out of that camp, surely, because then they would be bringing the risk of infection into the camp if they were going home to their families and then coming back in again. So then you've also got hotel staff locked up for however long that's going to be in those quarantine conditions. I think it's that side of the practicalities that's really going to put the kibosh on it. Yeah, and it's it's seems completely, it's not just the hotel staff, it'd be the medical staff you need on site. It would be the people you need to open a stadium if that's where you even held it. I mean, one of the lines in the independent report was that they might be playing these games um, on training pitches and things like that. It definitely has some kind of appeal to it if you're pitching as like, a mini Premier League World Cup, and it sounds kind of like, oh, that must be absolutely amazing. But yeah, the practicalities of it, it's its not going to work. One person comes down with a positive test, and we know how contagious this thing is. Then surely the whole thing collapses, doesn't it? If it's a player, they're in isolation, then suddenly the whole team is. And then if you're trying to be playing matches every single day, there's just no room to do it. Particularly as a football is a really enclosed environment, matches, I mean, players, you don't have two metres social distancing around the pitches, corners and stuff, they're still going to be contested in the same way, even if you ban handshakes. Uh, sorry, Daniel. I was just going to say, like, I mean, I'm instinctively opposed to football behind closed doors. Football's not a TV show. But I keep coming back to this point. If, ultimately, I think with this season, it's just about getting to the end. The more I think about it, the more the economics of it mean that we have to get to the end to ensure the survival of some of the smaller clubs. And... If this is what it takes, then I would probably I would probably feel like that would be a sensible thing to do, except for the practicalities of it sound absolutely ludicrous. And I, I, I don't know how it could be made to work, but then it's not my job to be a person who makes these kind of things work. And perhaps, perhaps logistically it is possible, but it's not very hard to pick very many humongous chasms 
in the line of reasoning it, that, that when, you, when you hear it tried out, and this isn't a criticism of the reporting at all, it's just I don't see that it's possible. And locking away the footballers also sounds kind of weird to me, although probably a sacrifice that they should make if, if, if we can make this work. It just doesn't seem very clear that it can be made to work. I mean, if there's 11 players in each club who are kind of take the view of Jack Grealish, we could, we could start tomorrow, you know, just, just get on with it. I think if the Premier League can pull it off, it'll be one of the great kind of coups of all time. But imagine if they start it and they've got these facilities in London, in the Midlands, and you play, say, one round of fixtures and then it just falls apart. There's one positive test in the Midlands, one positive test in London. Then teams have kind of played each other and it all just falls apart. I think it would probably cause more kind of chaos than than it than it's worth, more drama than it's worth. I mean, I think the thing is, is we've got a bit more scope in some ways, ludicrously also, because of the World Cup. So if e- even if it took until December to get this season finished, let's say, and we have a vaccine around that time, who knows? But let's say it takes till December to finish this season, you've still got a year to play the next one because of the World Cup. So you've got a little bit more time to mess around with. And it's ultimately going to end up with lots of players playing slightly more football in a slightly shorter space of time than usual when they already play too much. But again, we're in this unfortunate circumstance where, as Tom said before, we don't know what's coming next. Like what happens if we have a second wave in December? So if we can at least get this season finished, then we've got that season finished. And in a bit more time, we've bought ourselves some time to play with what happens next season. So I think that it may be that the the nonsense of a Qatar World Cup actually proves to be quite useful in this particular circumstance, but we're not as governed by time as we would usually be because of it. Or maybe we are. Maybe we're even more governed by time. There's something I haven't thought of. I don't know. Well, the, that was I think that was uh, AVB put forward that plan, didn't he? In an interview in the French press, he was he was making that exact point about the the World Cup is disrupting the kind of the calendar anyway. So does that give us more leeway? To pack it in, I, th- I think one of the lines from the independent report, or actually maybe it's Miguel's follow-up piece, was that they estimated that if if the season doesn't get completed, then Premier League clubs, um, the Premier League could be losing up to one point two billion. But if they manage to just get it all through, even behind closed doors, then the economic impact you're talking about is more like one hundred and sixty-nine million. So when you kind of put it like that, and in terms of what Daniel's been saying about if you take that amount amount of money out of the game we're not talking about you know a billionaire chairman losing a bit of cash or not being able to buy two strikers you're talking about clubs not being able to pay their staff and money not filtering down through the game so there seems to be a financial imperative behind it and and you know you could turn it into kind of a big charity fundraiser too you broadcast every game live there's a permanent strap on the bottom of the screen you know text this number to donate to your local NHS hospital you could kind of create a sort of positive message around it as well that might work. One way I was thinking about potentially squeezing in football, say you had a say you had a one-month window and and that would allow that the following season would kind of end nicely for the World Cup. Say you could fit it all in, um, but there wasn't quite enough time. Would you consider or would kind of changing the rules slightly of football, saying 45-minute matches or 60-minute matches, um, but that means that teams can kind of play back-to-back matches and therefore fit it in. Would you like to see that as a potential solution? Um, there are a few of these players. I mean, a, a double header is uh, not not played in one of them since I was slightly younger. Um, I'm not sure that's the way that I would do it. I think maybe what you might see is a league where not everyone plays everyone home and away for it, maybe, where you play half the games or groups and playoffs, something like that. 
I'm not sure you would want to mess. I would, I would feel terrified if they messed with the flow of the game like that because I'm not sure that, that would be the end of it. It's one of the things I think is going to, I'm fit is up for grabs anyway at some point where we start seeing shorter games because it suits short attention spans and YouTube highlights better. So I would come down very strongly against shortening the games. Although in parentheses, I would love the games to be shortened to 60 minutes or something of boring playtime. But in terms of saying we're just going to play shorter games and play twice, that's a very large no from me. Gary, what are your views on potentially rewriting the rules of football, just accepting that this season, to finish it, you may have to condense it slightly, and even next season, so either shortening the matches or playing games only home or only away? I wouldn't want to mess with the actual rules of play too much. Um, I'm more open to the idea that maybe do something with the fixtures, maybe, I don't know, divisional, um, just dividing uh, the league up into regional divisions or something and doing round robins, perhaps, something like that to reduce the number of games that have to be played. I'm, I'm open to that kind of thing if the season had to be truncated, but I don't know. I just, I, I don't really see why it has to be apart from this financial imperative. And, you know, Tom talks about all the great things that can be done with that money. That money isn't going to be filtered through the game. It isn't going to go to grassroots. It's not going to help the clubs in trouble. You know exactly where that money is going to go from all this stuff that's going to happen. It's going to stay with the teams at the very, very top. And it is likely that lower league clubs will go out of business regardless of what happens now. And it will be uh, people who are non-playing staff who will suffer at the big clubs because it is not going to be the players of the Premier League who will be suffering. Yeah, perhaps the most sensible suggestion that I've seen from the kind of famous people, uh, Gary Neville and his five-point plan. Um, Some people were treating it like the new Magna Carta. It wasn't quite that. It was pretty basic. Um, But I do like it. Uh, He says, so point one, finish the season in a short time frame when safe. Number two, condense next season if needed. Number three, open the transfer window from May and run it all through the 2020-21 season. Um, Extend player contracts because some of them are expiring on um, June 30th. So just extend them till this season finishes. Um, And then fifth one, which might address your concerns, Carrie, uh, financial packages for clubs in need, including non-league clubs. Does anyone massively disagree with what Gary Neville said there? A season-long transfer window sounds like Worse than the coronavirus I'm just recovering from. Uh, But what Carrie was saying about the money not trickling down, I'm actually like, I totally understand what she's saying. And I'm also deeply suspicious of all these people. I don't, of all the people who are involved and all the vested interests, but I don't think that anyone wants 45 clubs going to the wall. And I think that that would be a very bad look for people who care about not looking that bad. And I think that... um, the, the football the, the football league anyway wants to continue playing playing matches wants to finish its season for these reasons and I'm sure I read earlier today that the Premier League can't unilaterally decide that things are over without the consent of the EFL so whilst every time I hear someone talk about the integrity of the sporting competition I cry laugh to myself thinking about these the, the ridiculousness of using words like that to describe the Premier League and football in this country and the government in this country but I think that there is a good chance that it will look too bad for clubs to go to the wall as a consequence of coronavirus so that I feel slightly more hopeful, I think, than Carrie does, that the money, enough of the money might make its way downwards in this particular instance before the Premier League gets back to resuming normal service and doing everything it can to ruin the competition subsequently. And it just seems like a weird thing to do to kind of cancel a season that's so close to finishing. I mean, 
I think I saw Doug and Alexander from Opta tweeting that if they did cancel the season, then officially all the games would be obviously null and void, but then all the stats as well. So I think his example was Mason Greenwood, nice little player for Man United, but never scored a senior goal. And Erling Haaland with his record of naught goals in naught games for Borussia Dortmund. Like people have gone to these matches. They've experienced all these moments. We've, we've, you know, seen all these games and these goals and to kind of think that they could just say, actually none of that will now register and will be completely wiped out of the history books just seems like completely surreal to me. Well, they've already done that with the uh, with the lower tiers of the game. They've already basically wiped the seasons from tier three downwards in the women's game. And I think, is it tier six downwards for the men? So, you know, it's not like there isn't a precedent already been set for this. And it does worry me that there is a lot of focus on what's happening with the Premier League and there is less of a talk about what's happening with lower leagues. But also... Obviously, my interest is the women's side of the game. I'm very, very concerned that there might be WSL and championship sides being cut adrift from men's clubs to save money, or the ones who are independent might be struggling for cash flow. We've already seen in the past few years uh, top fight women's clubs go to the wall or be closed down because of cash flow situations. Obviously, this is an even more serious situation to be in. Carrie, how would you like clubs then to respond? We saw today that that Tottenham were furloughing a a kind of a large chunk of their staff. I can't remember the I can't remember the exact statement, but it seemed it seemed crazy for a club that turns over millions and millions of pounds that can lay off staff that that let's be honest will not will not be on salaries anywhere near the players. Carrie, how would you like to see clubs, men's um, and and women's clubs respond? Yeah, I mean the furloughing scheme does seem to be something that a lot of companies, not just football clubs, have kind of taken advantage of quite quickly. And I completely understand why it obviously has. Uh, some government subsidisation of these salaries that are on on the wage bill. But to see Spurs' statement about, is it 550 non-playing staff and directors taking this, this essentially a pay cut, while the playing staff aren't, that left a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest, when I saw that. Um, I think there have been better examples set uh, in other clubs across Europe where playing staff have been the first to say, yeah, okay, we can afford to take a salary cut more than the people who are earning, what, 10, 11 grand a year working in the offices. So there's, there's plenty of money swishing about in football. There's plenty of money swishing about in these clubs, like you just said, Ben. So yes, I think some people need to take a long, hard look at themselves and think about who can afford to lose 20% of their income and who can't. I feel intense ire about this uh, because um, Joe, Joe Lewis, number one, is worth four and a half billion pounds. He could pay all of this and he would never notice. And Daniel Levy is the highest paid chairman in the football, in, uh, in the football league in England. He earns four million quid a year. He's ta- apparently he is taking a pay cut, but he's very clearly not taking enough of a pay cut. And the thing about this is, is it's not just about people not earning their money, although it is entirely about that at the same time, because what's going to happen is if you've got people who have committed their money, they earn X amount of pounds a year, it's not a lot of pounds, and then you take some of that money away, they don't suddenly lose the desire not to eat food and to pay rent. And in order to go and pay their rent and eat that food, they're then going to have to find other sources of earning money. That's going to entail leaving the house. That's going to entail passing coronavirus around. So this whole thing costs everyone more money if you want to look at it in monetary terms, if you're that kind of moron. But also it's going to make all this last longer and make more people ill and make more people die. So it's not simply a matter of these people, well, they'll be without the money and then that will be that. It's actively making coronavirus worse for the world. And I don't think that people are quite aware of what, what, what that means, really. 
when when they look at what Daniel Levy's doing, people just think, oh, it's Daniel Levy being Daniel Levy. He hates signing players. Ha, 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 ha. It's not. It's a lot more significant and a lot more intense and a lot more cruel and a lot more dangerous than that. And if you want ironclad evidence of this, even the Glazers are still paying people's wages. The Glazers are taking a billion pounds out of Manchester United. But even the Glazers know that you still have to pay people's wages at this point. And that is the level to which Tottenham and Daniel Levy have sunk here. And it's completely unacceptable. There should be punitive um, response from Tottenham fans. Spurs fans should be saying, I will not be spending my money in the ground. I will not be buying drinks. I will not be buying pies. I will not be buying programmes. I will not be giving my money to Tottenham Hotspur until they actually start acting in a correct manner. And this is not the correct manner. And, and Carrie brought it up. It's not, this is not something consistent, which all clubs are doing. And, you know, there's an example in, in Spain with Barcelona. Obviously, we know Spain's been a country that's been incredibly hard, incredibly badly hit. Um, the Barcelona players were all taking a 70% pay cut. And I think Lionel Messi said in his statement that as well as that, they're gonna, they'll top it up further if needed to ensure that everyone who isn't highly paid, who isn't a player, will get their wages in four, which seems to be a much more sort of humanitarian response to it, but also much more sensible, like Daniel says. And I mean, a lot of these clubs, yeah. they don't even require, they don't even require the players to do it because the owners are so rich, the owners can do it. Barcelona is slightly different. Like they probably don't, might not necessarily have enough money without the players doing it. So it is incumbent on the players to do it. But Spurs don't even need the players to do it. Joe Lewis can do it himself and that'd be that. Great. Um, does anyone have any any final thoughts then? We've kind of, we've solved the, the, solved the season, I think. Um, I think we've, uh, particularly Daniel, uh, you've pretty much torn down every single club response, particularly Tottenham, although we've actually saluted Manchester United, which I don't think we'd get you to do on this show. Um, so yeah, any final thoughts? Maybe Carrie, if I start with you. Yeah, I think just essentially, I think the season has to finish, but it isn't the priority, as I think we've reiterated repeatedly. Health has to be the most important thing at the moment. We can't second guess a, a brand new virus, which is what this is. And we need to make sure that everyone is fit and well. And if that means an extra six months, eight months, nine months, a year away from football, then so be it. Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Carrie. Football is not important, but we shouldn't beat ourselves up about loving football because it brings an enormous amount of joy and love into the world. And the sooner we can get back to experiencing that, the better the place a world will be for quite a lot of people in it. And in these times, that would be nice. But the point is being stupid about it. And finally, Tom. Um, I would love to see a World Cup style TV mega event of the kind floated in the independent, but um, sadly, I don't see it's going to happen. But I think, yeah, once once the season can be completed safely, um, I think it should be. Okay, then. I feel like we've we've trodden that well. Thanks, Daniel, Carrie, Tom, for, for joining me. You've been listening to Game of Opinions from Eurosport. Please, please, please remember to subscribe and share on your favourite podcast platform. Over and out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 